Hi, I'm Kate Spina. This is Toward Light, Practical Buddhism for the Modern World. Each week, I explore ways to apply these timeless teachings to our daily life. Hello, and welcome to Episode 8 of Season 2 of the Toward Light Podcast. I'm continuing this week with looking at the Buddha's first teaching, Setting the Wheel of Truth in Motion. In Episode 6, I read the whole sutta. In Episode 7, I talked about the first noble truth, the truth of dukkha. And this week, I will be talking about the second noble truth, which is the truth of the origin of dukkha. From the sutta, The origin of suffering as a noble truth is this. It is the craving that produces renewal of being accompanied by enjoyment and lust, and enjoying this and that. In other words, craving for sensual desires, craving for being, craving for non-being. The word for this noble truth in Pali is tanha, which in this translation, and most commonly, is translated as craving. A more literal translation is thirst, and I like that word because it evokes a visceral feeling in me. As I discussed last week, dukkha, the bumpiness of life, is woven throughout all aspects of our lives, so then it stands to reason that tanha, the cause of dukkha, would be prevalent as well. And because of that, because it's such a pervasive part of life, it can be subtle and difficult to see at times. Martine Batchelor shares this, Desires, impulses, and urges can easily be clothed in the garments of need. So part of our job with this second noble truth is not getting deluded by the craving and feeling we must act on it, but seeing it for what it is, just tanha. How does tanha lead to dukkha? When we have a pleasant sensation at any of our sense doors, a yummy taste, a pleasant touch, a positive thought, we then automatically try and hold on to it. And when it passes, because all phenomena is fleeting, the dukkha is created as we cling to something that is no longer available. On the flip side, when we have an unpleasant sensation at any of our sense doors, a bad smell, seeing a jarring image, having a negative thought, we then try and push that away and crave for relief or for the opposite or an antidote of some sort. And so the dukkha is created as we crave for something that we do not have and don't accept what is happening in our present moment experience. Now, the way that tanha creates dukkha is because we act on that craving, we believe it, and we feel like we have to act on it. Sylvia Borstein says, Desire itself is just a mind energy. It is not a demand. It is a suggestion. So we can notice this in our lives. When I experience an itch from a bug bite, I often act on it and start scratching automatically without any thought. But if I'm present with my experience enough, at times I can wait to scratch it and be with the sensation of the itch, and often I feel the sensation pass away before I feel the need to scratch it. And that's just a tiny example of something that affects only me. So if this is happening all the time, how often am I acting on a craving without seeing that the craving is only a suggestion, and I can mindfully make a wiser choice rather than blindly following the craving? If I see my friend wearing a color that I think doesn't look good on her, and I have the craving to tell her what I think, and I just blurt something out without reflection, I may cause harm to my friend and to that relationship, creating dukkha. By not acting on that craving, I don't create the dukkha. 
The Buddha shares that there are three types of tanha. Kamatanha, the craving for sensual desires. Bhavatanha, craving for being. And Vibhavatanha, craving for non-being. I talk more about these in Season 1, Episode 14, if you want to hear more. So the craving for sensual desires is the obvious one. When we want that yummy taste or those new shoes or to listen to that great song for the 50th time. And it can also be the flip side of wanting the neighbor to stop yelling or the trash disposal to work or the heat to go away. Kamatanha can be a reaction to both pleasant and unpleasant sensations. Bawatanha, this craving for being, is all about identification, how we view ourselves, how we want ourselves to be perceived. We can often see this in ways that we label or identify ourselves, the stories that we tell about who we are. When meeting someone, depending on what culture I'm in, I may lead with the fact that I'm an LCSW, or that I'm married, or that I have a podcast. All of these are forms of bawatanha, wanting to be seen, wanting to present myself in a certain way, craving to become something in the other person's experience of me. And vipavatanha is this craving for non-existence, this stop-the-world-I-want-to-get-off feeling. In the last year during the pandemic, this has seemed to be a common theme for so many of us, wanting to check out, having lockdown fatigue, just being done with it all. There is such relief in Vibhavatanha being brought up in this teaching 2,500 years ago because it normalizes my experience of sometimes wanting to check out or dissociate from life or get lost in distraction. And I can see this ultimately leads to dukkha because if I'm acting on the craving not to be, if I'm ignoring what is actually happening in my life and binging a series on Netflix or something, life is still going to be going on and dukkha is created when I forget that. Just to be clear, I'm not talking about skillful, healthy rest. I'm talking about that excessive mind-numbing we can do. As I talk about the pervasiveness of tanha, I also feel it is important to talk about how culture can color our tanha. Like in the example I was giving about introducing myself. If I'm in Boston meeting someone new, I'm going to lead with what I do for work. If I'm in Telluride, Colorado, I'm going to lead with my preferred outdoor activities. If I'm in Mexico, I'm going to lead with my family. Culture colors what we want and how we want to be perceived. And sometimes cultural norms are so strong that they can take over. Resma Menachem says, Because culture lives in our bodies, it usually trumps all things cognitive, ideas, philosophies, convictions, principles, and laws. In many cases, it even supersedes human desires and needs. An example. So for me, spicy food makes me feel sick. I currently live in Mexico, and so there are times when I'm being hosted by someone where I will eat the food rather than explain it's not something I can eat, because the cultural norm is to participate in the culture and to honor the hospitality that's being offered. The cultural norm is superseding my biological craving. When we tease out our cravings, we also need to tease out what is truly ours and what is cultural. So another example, for a while I was following a bunch of fashion designers on Instagram. So the culture my mind was being exposed to was all about high fashion. So I started to be critical about what I was wearing and the quality of my clothes and got lost in craving for so many new things. And then I unfollowed all of these fashion designers and in the following weeks that craving dissipated to almost zero. 
we can look at what we're surrounding ourselves with and what we're exposing ourselves to and see how that culture may be affecting or enhancing our craving. I will read a concise version of the other part of the sutta, setting the wheel of the truth in motion, that's specifically about this second noble truth. The origin of suffering as a noble truth is this. The origin of suffering as a noble truth can be abandoned. This origin of suffering as a noble truth has been abandoned. So this is very important. We need to know that tanha is the origin of dukkha, but then we also need to know that tanha can be abandoned. And once we've let it go, we can know that we have let it go. We can know we've abandoned it. Right now, as I heal from surgery, I can see my craving to not feel the soreness is actually creating dukkha. The resistance to what's present is creating suffering. So I can abandon that craving and accept that soreness is a part of the healing process. And then the next time the soreness arises, I do need to remind myself that the craving has been abandoned. I don't need to keep getting caught in that trap. A useful practice is to either do some mental reflection or some journal writing about things that you wanted at points in your life that you felt such a strong pull toward and that it's not something you crave anymore. Showing yourself, reminding yourself that the craving has been abandoned can help motivate you going forward when you're trying to abandon another form of craving. The final piece I want to mention about the second noble truth is that there is a difference between tanha, thirst, and chanda, wholesome desire. It's not that we never want anything, but it's how we hold that wanting. Again, with healing from surgery, The chanda, the wholesome desire, is that I want to be healthy, so I follow my doctor's instructions and take care of my body. It becomes tanha when I want the healing to be faster or different in some way. We can often go back and forth between chanda and tanha, and that's really normal. We can ask the question, is this thing I want bringing more or less difficulty in my life? How am I holding it? What is my response going to be if things don't go according to my desire? When I was pulling together this episode, I found this quote about vows from Norman Fisher. And while Chanda, a wholesome desire, does not have to be a vow, they can be, and I really appreciate how he explains this. Vows are energies. Vows are aspirations. They are larger than life. Endless sources of inspiration. Vows differ from goals, which are limited in scope. Goals can be met. Vows can be practiced but never exactly completed, for they are essentially unfillable, and it's their very inexhaustibility that propels us forward, opens us up, shapes our desires and actions. Can you feel the difference between that wholesome energy propelling us forward and the dragging, forceful pull of tanha? As you move through your days, notice the moments when you feel like you're consciously choosing your steps forward and those moments when you feel like you're being pulled. Remind yourself of the times you've abandoned your craving for a greater sense of well-being and trust that you can continue to let go. Thank you for listening. Please check out any links in the show notes. You can find me on my website, towardlight.net or on Instagram at TowardLight108.